So we are in our series called Words from the Mountain, and what we've been doing each week is we've been traveling around the mountain, taking the trails, and Jesus is leading us down these trails to new sections. And when we arrive at these new sections on the mountain, Jesus is teaching us something new about what it means to be lifted up into this Christian story, kind of like a leaf that is there that was the wind gets underneath it and blows it up. Lifted up the mountain, lifted up into the heavens, and that's what's happening to us. That's what we've been looking at. And the section, what Jesus has been doing, is he's been teaching us about what it means to have an authentic faith. Meaning, he's helping us to not be phony. And I don't know if you feel this way when you pray, but a lot of times when I pray, I know my heart's not fully into it. I know that we have a God who has given his life for me, and yet the way that I approach him is not in such a way that I have a God who's given his life for me. And so I'm acting hypocritical. And what Jesus is doing in this section is he's stopping us from being hypocrites. And he's not doing it by saying, stop being a hypocrite. He's showing us all the reasons why we should come running to him with joy and excitement and peace, the peace and the comfort that we find in him. And so that's what this series has been about in this section, Words from the Mountain. And I want to highlight something that we talked about last week. So a lot of times, this is what, this is what you do, this is what I do. We start approaching God, and before we do, we say, okay, i got to get my life all fixed up. i got to get my life cleaned up. i got to get transformed a bit before I go to God. And when you do that, what you're failing to realize is that it is God himself who transforms you. So you don't be transformed before you go to him. You go to him in order to be transformed. You know what that's like. This is like the foolishness of a little child who sees at the top cabinet some food, and then that child says, you know what, I can't reach that cabinet. I can't reach that food. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to eat anything until I grow tall enough to reach that food. It's the food that makes the child grow big enough to reach the food. And we do the same thing when we say, ah, I need to wait to clean myself up before I go to God. Now, you might not say that out loud, but, but there's something inside of you that keeps doing it. And there's a reason why you're scared to go to God. There's a reason why you're hesitant, and there's a reason why you don't do it. And the reason is because you don't really rely on His grace. And so you're left trying to clean yourself up before you go to Him, when all the while what you should have been doing is running right into His arms. And that, the prayer, this prayer we've been looking at teaches us to do that, but it's also teaching us how to pray. In the section we are at today, we've been looking line by line, and the line that we look at today is, give us this day our daily bread. So I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to read the whole prayer, but we're focusing in on, give us this day our daily bread. So it says, pray then like this. This is Jesus speaking. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, each week, we're forming a more complete definition of what prayer is, and there's a complication in our verses that make us difficult to define this part of the prayer. Now, some of you guys are going to love what I'm about to do because I'm going to geek out on word studies, and some of you are going to be tempted to go to sleep. If somebody next to you starts like just like falling asleep, you have to nudge them, and you have to tell them how exciting this is. So, here's the difficulty. This word, for in, 
daily for daily bread. It is used one time in the entire New Testament, but it's not even that. That's not even the biggest problem. It's used one time in the entire Greek language, which means if you want to know what this word means, you, it's really difficult. In fact, there are theologians who are also Greek scholars that were having a very difficult time understanding what was happening here. And what has basically happened is that Christians were acting like Beyonce. She made up a word, bootylicious. <laughs> and Christians have just made up a word. They've made up their own word, daily bread, daily the way that they're saying this. And probably what happened is there was this phrase that was getting used to describe what it's like to go to God and ask him for your daily bread. And so here's where the translation issues come into play. The scholars are saying, okay, hold on. Is this about the bread that we need today, only today, or is it about bread that we need tomorrow? And what's the amount we should be praying for? Should we pray for just the right amount that we need today, or is it selfish and needy of us to pray for what we need tomorrow also. So here's where the problem gets solved. In the second century, there is an, there, this is an old Syriac translation, and it's helpful to look at this other translation from Greek to Syriac because here's why. The, the people who are translating it have to say, well, what did this mean? And they were close enough to the time to be able to make the right translation. And so here's how they translated it. This is from the second century. It says, give us today the bread that doesn't run out. Like when Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's bread that continues on and on and on. And so that is what you're praying when you pray this prayer. And along with that, bread represents what we need. It's not just the bread, but it's what you need. Now, So we're going to define prayer today like this. Going to God like he is your father in heaven and asking him to give you the bread that doesn't ever run out. To meet your needs in such a way that what you need, you never run out of what you need. Now, there's a few errors and we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at these three errors that we fall into. So I'm going to run through them real quick, and then we're going to, then we're going to just really dig into them. So the first error is we, we either over-spiritualize this prayer, or we over-materialize the prayer. So St. Augustine and St. Jerome, they, they made this a very spiritual thing. They said, our daily bread is, this is, what we, this is Jesus, we need Jesus. They made it so spiritual, and they took completely all of the physical needs out. Now, Martin Luther, from where the Lutheran denomination comes from, he says, no, no, no. He says this prayer is about not just the bread that we need, but what he explains is that this is about the flourishing of a society. This is about everyone in the society having the bread that they need. And so what you have there, then, is people who have jobs. There are available jobs, and people can work those jobs so that they could have the bread that they need. But it's not just that either. He says that means also that there is leadership. The politics are right. The system is set up so that everybody does have jobs. But it's not just that. It's friendships. Because if someone has a need and there's nobody there to care for them, they're lonely, then those needs aren't being met. And so there's relational flourishing. There's, he takes it all the way through and basically makes the argument this is flourishing in all of life and that's what this prayer is. So... 
the two are right there. Now, here, here becomes the temptation. Here's what humans always seem to do. We seem to always divide the spiritual and the material. But this prayer will not let you do that. Because just before that, we prayed on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer is a prayer for the mingling of two worlds, the mingling of the spiritual and the material. Like two leaves that become lifted off the ground and by the wind and they're dancing together, we see the mingling of heaven and earth, spiritual and material coming together. So that's the first error. The second error is understanding the difference between our wants and our needs, because this is a prayer about your need, not your wants. But we have a really hard time differentiating our needs from our wants. And then, so here's, here's what you need. In order to know your needs and your wants and the difference, you have to have something that very few people have. You have to be content. That's the second. The third error and we're going to go back to these, the third error is that people make this prayer about them. This is a very communal prayer. From the beginning, the Lord's Prayer has been communal. We live in one of the most individualistic cultures that there has ever been. We don't read this prayer the right way. It's our Father in heaven, and it's give us this day our daily bread. Okay, so let's go back. We're going to look at spiritual versus material. So this is our first point here. There, there's a booklet that comes out about once a month, and it's called Your Daily Bread. I don't know if you guys have heard of this or not. And what this book is working off the premise of is that God's Word is our daily bread. Now, the problem with that is that it is completely taking it all the way to making this only spiritual. And we have... We have the two coming together, spiritual and material, in this prayer. And Jesus is, I mean, this is true. Jesus is the true bread that's come down from heaven. His word, you could call it the bread of heaven. However, it's not just only that. Jesus is concerned about our physical needs. The mingling of two worlds. He's worried about physical needs being met in practical ways in our city. And we should be praying for those things. So food, when we have it today, is not like it was then. So they didn't have Publix where shopping was a pleasure. They couldn't go get the deals at Aldi. Yes, the Aldi. Here's what happens. Here's what happens in this prayer. Your needs do something. Your physical needs drive you to God. And when they drive you to God, what are you finding? You're finding that you're in his presence now. And the first thing that starts happening is he begins to meet your spiritual needs first. And then he becomes the Publix of life. It's a pleasure to go to him. And then you begin to ask him to meet your physical needs. But humanity can't flourish without both physical and spiritual needs being met. In fact, we are needy in both ways. You're needy spiritually and you're needy physically. Why is that? Why are we even in need at all? This question has been on the lips of humanity since it all happened, since everything fell apart, since everything went down. This is called, known as the fall. And basically what has happened is the same way you're gripping, if you've ever gripped monkey bars and you've held on super tight, for as long as you could. Eventually, your hands grow tired and you fall to the ground. Well, the same way humanity was, had its grip, in a way, on, in he, on heaven. And by our sin, 
we were ripped down, and part of it was we were just tired of being with God, and so we let go. And the promise of the Bible, well, the, the promise of the Bible is, one, this is what's wrong with the world, but also the promise is that Christ has come to do something about it. That one day heaven and earth will be reunited again and Christ will be the link between and he is the link. He's, we are united to him and so heaven and earth, we get to be united to it in a way through Christ. So it's like now Christ is holding the monkey bars and when we pray we go and grab onto his feet and he becomes the link between heaven and earth. And that's why you pray in Jesus' name because everything, he is, all that he has done, he has done so that heaven and earth can be brought back together again and so that you can now know the Father and be known by him as you were always meant to. Now, some of you have needs that are small, physically or spiritually, and some of you have needs that are great. Some of you are suffering a little bit, and some of you are suffering a lot of it. But, the Bible says something very strange about this. If you scan through the Bible, what you'll find over and over and over again is that somehow your needs and even your suffering is a gift because what your needs and your suffering have done have made you realize that there's someone else that you need. And your needs and your suffering drive you to Christ and drive you to God. And when that happens, you find yourself experiencing everything that you've been meant to experience, but it took your needs and it took the, the, the trials in your life to drive you to God. So what I want to do um, before we move on to the next point is I, I, I want to just give you some very practical ways to pray this prayer. So spiritual, material, both combined together. So these are 10 things when I pray this prayer, and it's not always 10, but this, these are the 10 things that I usually, when I get to this portion of the Lord's Prayer, I'm praying these 10 things. So first I start spiritually, and, and I ask God to give me faith like Abraham. So Abraham risked tons. God said, I want you to go out to this place, leave your country, go into the place that is unknown, and I want you to trust that as you go, I will deliver on the promises that I'm making to you. So Abraham had risky faith, so I want to pray for that. I pray that God would give me wisdom beyond my years like Solomon. I pray that God would give me a heart after his own heart like King David. And then I start getting more, more like physical in this world, and I pray for thriving marriage. I pray for wisdom and patience in my parenting, and energy that is required for me to be the dad that I need to be. I pray for strong friendships. I pray for healthy leaders, both not just in our church, but like leaders over me, leaders over you. And then I pray for our church, this, that we would be a loving community that's welcoming to all, that's courageous in truth. And then I pray for my son to get better. Those are essentially the 10 things that I pray, though there's more or less with that. Now, you should have your own version of that, but those things that I prayed for, those are, those are, it leads to the flourishing of a human. Those are things that we are meant to have. Now, now we got to know, okay, you start listing these things. Well, what should I be praying for? What should I be asking for? And you find yourself, well, should I be praying for things that I want? And it's, you know, I want to say it's okay to pray for things that you want, but this prayer is telling you to pray for what you need. And so you have to be able to differentiate between what you need and what you want. And in order to do that, like I said earlier, you have to have something that very few people have, contentment. 
And here's why you're not content. Humans are want machines. Like, we are, we are like an assembly line, spitting out want after want after want after want. And God made us that way on purpose, because our wants are actually meant to drive us not to the pleasures of this world, but to run right past the pleasures of this world, because they are fleeting, because they aren't enough, because we have dreamed these grand dreams of what we want that will give us pleasure. And so we run right past everything in this world, right in the arms of God, and then we find ourselves with Him. And then as we are in His arms, we realize, wow, this is everything I wanted. And then you find yourself finally content. And until, oh, and by the way, that first part of the Lord's Prayer that we've been going through, that's how you get content. You see the glory of God, and when God shows you his glory, you say, wow, this is everything I've been looking for. His kingdom, the good life, this is what you've been looking for, and you have it in him, in his will. You start trusting him. You say, well, there's difficult things happening in my life, but I know that I can trust him, so I'm content. And now you know how to pray for the difference between your wants and your needs. And Paul, who is a bit of a superhuman, he talks about having this contentment. And so Paul is in jail, and he's writing to the Philippian church. And the Philippian church, he's writing to them because the Philippian church has just given him money because he's in jail. So back then when you were in jail and you didn't have anybody providing for you, you would, and you didn't have any money, you would die. You just wouldn't be able to eat. But Paul says something weird to them. They give him money, and he says, thank you so much for sending money, but I just want you to know that I'm not in need. And it's weird that he says it because he's in desperate need. He's going to die if he doesn't get this food in need. That goes on to explain what he meant. And here's what he says. He says, I've learned that in whatever situation I am in to be content. He says he knows how to be brought low and how to abound. He knows the secret of facing plenty and hunger. So when you're content like this, you know the difference between wants and needs. And then, so, so we see Paul say this, and if you're like me, which you got to be, I mean, how do you not want that? You want what Paul has, and then he goes on in Philippians to explain how he has it, and he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that does not mean that whoever prays this prayer today when the Super Bowl is happening, that doesn't mean that they're going to win. Don't fall for that lie. Here's what this verse means. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me means if, if Paul was in the Super Bowl, when he prays that prayer, he says, I'm going to try my best to win this game, but if I don't, I'm going to be content with the fact that I have not won because God is always enough for me no matter what. That is what it means to pray that prayer. It's a prayer that no matter what you face, you have contentment in your life. And so Paul understands the difference between what he wants and what he needs because... He has Christ, and Christ is always enough for him. And, and in order to have that, you've got to go to the first part of the Lord's Prayer. Now, once, you have, once you're content, now look at what you begin to do. When you are content, you begin to pray this prayer, and you begin to think about other people. Because it's a communal prayer. This is my bread versus our bread. This is our third point. The prayer is not just about having what you need. It's about what the community needs. It's not just about your flourishing. It's about the community's flourishing. 
This prayer is remarkably communal, and it's not like a prayer that, like, you know when you're on the, the airplane and they say, when the mask pops down, you got to give it to yourself first and then give it to your kids. This is, a, this is a prayer that's saying, no, all of us at the same time, God provide for all of us, all of us right now. And Mother Teresa tells a story in her time in Calcutta where there's this family of eight, and they don't have food, and finally they get some food for this family, and so... They, plant, they get the food, they bring it to the family, they get in there, and as soon as they get in, the mother of these children takes the food and divides it in half and walks out. She comes back, and the mother Teresa's like, where did you go? What happened to the food? And she said, the neighbors are hungry too. That's what this prayer is about. Our needs, entrusting God enough that he's going to provide that when something like this happens, you do what is right because you trust God. And so you can give to others because you trust that God will provide. And even if he doesn't, he's enough. Now, I'm sure it was hard for this mother to do that. It required a lot of trust in God. But this prayer makes you a bit dangerous like that. It makes you do things that seem crazy because... You've just prayed, let your will be done. And now you're praying, give us this day our daily bread. Now, I want to tell you this too. So it should be very difficult for us to pray this prayer without thinking of other people. It should be a very difficult prayer for us to pray in America and not think about the rest of the world. The prayer should activate Christians to action. The prayer should make us think about the orphan and the widow. And so then we need to start asking, what, do, what, what can we do here locally? What do we do here locally? Well, we've been talking about for the last couple weeks about how we are going to be starting a nursing home ministry. And there's a major problem in our area where people in nursing homes are lonely. They're not flourishing relationally. So when we pray this prayer, we're actually praying on behalf of the widows or anybody in this nursing home that is lonely, that needs somebody to be there with them. And I want to tell you this, so we can't do everything, we can't love everybody exactly the same. We can love everybody, so we can't do everything, but we can do something. So I, my hope is that as we launch this ministry that some of you will feel led to adopt somebody there. Not to bring them back to your house, but just to go and visit them. Set, a time, set aside time once a month or once a week just to offer friendship to them in their need. So I say this, and here's the charge here. In this text, let's be a church that offers love, that offers the bread of love to the neglected. Let's be a church that offers bread of friendship to the lonely, the bread of hope to the hopeless, the bread of heaven to the spiritually hungry, the bread of grace to the sinner, and the bread of life to the world. So why should we do this? Because we, we, we think these thoughts and we think, man, I'd like to do that, but we tend to not do anything. So why should we do this? Why should we pray this prayer and then let this prayer activate us to help others? Because we have a Savior 
who left all of his comfort behind and went to the discomfort of the cross for us. We have a Savior who is the bread of heaven that has come down to spiritually nourish us, but not just spiritually. The promise of Christianity is one day Christ will return. And when he does, all things will be made right as they're meant to be. And there there will not just be spiritually flourishing. We will not just be floating around like this disembodied soul, not knowing where we're going, just being blown around. But we will be people, physical people. And and we will have a king who has come to meet all of our needs, not just spiritual, but physical, emotional, social, and cultural, all the way. And everything will be as it's meant to be. And that is the promise of Christianity. And so... Because we have a Savior who has fought for us, we fight for others. And we remember that the death and resurrection of Christ doesn't just deal with our sins. and doesn't just deal with death, but it ushers in God's kingdom now. And until his kingdom fully comes, we fight for his kingdom to come in this world as it's meant to be. And the whole time, We remember that we have a God, we have a king, we have a savior who had everything he needed. But you remember then that he wanted you. And because he wanted you, he came for you. And he did what it took to get you. The cross. Everything that he needed, wanted, all of it. He lost it because he wanted you. And by doing that, he has you again. And you have him. You can be content now. You have what you need in him and you have what you want in him and so you go to him and then he just changes you. And you start seeing people around you and you start living for them like you didn't think that you could. And then what happens is like this leaf that we keep talking about gets lifted up off the ground and now you're swept up by the wind because the Spirit of God is guiding you and you are living the mingling of heaven and earth because of the way that you're living because He's come. 